to Music and Weights podcast. This is the very first episode of Music and Weights podcast, a podcast where we explore the similarities between craft and discipline and what it takes to become great in any endeavor. And I don't know if I'm great, <laughs> but, but working on it. You know, working on I'll it. Do, you know. So our guest today is Michael Adams, known to his friends as Monkey Adams. He is a superstar, budding superstar, uh, no, I, I, international I, I, baritone oh, extraordinaire. That's too much. And uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. No, it's, it's good. It's good to so, be back with an old friend here. So uh, yeah, okay. So speaking of, I guess we should go way back to the beginning. How we met. Uh, oh, okay, I'll tell you the story. So Jack and I had this is 2012 the summer. Jack Swanson. Yes, at uh, at Siegel Music Colony in the middle of nowhere, upstate New York. It's like an elite training program for opera singers at the very beginning of their career. So, you know, you're like, wow, I can't wait to meet everybody. Like, I want to hear everybody sing. You know, it's nice to, like, be around people who are super good in, like, these really concentrated environments. You get a lot of learning done in these, uh, you know, like, summer programs. It's, like, takes a whole year of growth and condenses it into, like, eight weeks. So, you know, most of our house is already there. Little friendships have been formed. And the last guy rolls up. He has his own car. Like, Jack and I didn't bring cars. We're in the middle of nowhere. So we're like, all right, all right this guy must be cool. And this dude gets out of the car. And we're By like, the way, it was my mom's car. And Jack and I are like these like fresh-faced, you know, like little baby-faced 21, 22-year-olds. Ma, ma. Michael gets out of the car, and we're like, holy shit, dude, this dude looks just like a man. Like, looks like he hit puberty like 25 years ago. 11. And, uh, yeah, like, the, like full facial hair and... Yeah. Like, you know, getting out and, like, had the whole thing going on, and we're like, what's up, dude? And, you know, lo and behold, it was Monkey Adams. Opened his mouth to sing Don Giovanni, and we were like, oh, my God. So, anyway, that was, like, six and a half years ago. But now, so we went from this pay to sing, this, like, little shack in the woods, to... Nah, it was a good pay to sing. It was an awesome it's, pay to it's sing. It's, like, the awesome, best, awesome the pay best to program there. Yeah, so and, like, but part, but part of the But part of the charm is that it's, like, you know, it is a little, like, shacks in the woods. To now we are at an A-level opera house, like one of the most important opera houses in the world, and you are singing a role, like the featured baritone role. And it's hard for me to say that because as much as I love Lieutenant Horsemeyer, the, the baritone role, the princely one, is Odebert. So in that six years, like, dude, I think we got to start with how did you go from, or how does it feel looking back and being like, okay, so a little over a half decade ago, you were paying more or less to sing and now you are singing getting paid to sing at the highest level how does that feel dude i mean it feels good and honestly it's been it's been a journey i mean six what, six years yeah it's been six years yeah. yeah i mean i feel like one honestly. which means like, that you would have so... you would have been at brevard then like the year before that <clears throat> i went to brevard 2011 i was 20 years old yeah and uh met one of my best friends there keith browning what's up keith um what's up keith uh yeah dude that i cannot believe it was that long ago i mean a lot's happened. Good lord! I went to ABA. I went to Germany. I came back to WNO to the Young Artist Program there for two years, and uh, it's freelancing now. It's it's good life. So one of the things that I remember the most about being at Siegel was your diligence in working on the voice. And this was like at this time, like I didn't know. I was like vowels. Like we're supposed to think about a vowel, like when we sing. Like what is this? And you were working with Tyson yeah. really closely. What? What would you say, and like, and obviously now, like, looking at your musicianship and your technical facility, then to now, it's just like incredible. Like, I remember there was a time when you were like, I, I can't sing softly. 
you know, like, I can't be like on the voice, like doing a making a real operatic sound and yeah. sing softly. And now you have just like amazing control. So what well, are like? I'm, I'm glad it seems that way. I, I often feel like it I still don't. <laughs> but, it's you know. dude, it it's working. So what is like? I would say when you were laying those technical foundations, I would wake up every single morning and make coffee. Right. Mm-hmm. Take about ten minutes to shut. Like wake up. Vocalize for 30 minutes. Vocalizes every single day. This break. At Siegel. This is everywhere. I've, I've done this ever since, right? Yeah. So, thir- uh, you know, 30 minutes vocalizing. And, you know, you got to be getting good information. You can't just be, like, doing yeah. bad technical right. things. It's, it's like sports. It's like baseball. You you know, those it's guys reps. are all... It's like you don't want to yeah. be doing, you know, a hundred of the wrong kind yeah, of reps. Yeah, they're doing... All those guys in the MLB and the NFL, when you look at their mechanics, they're essentially doing a lot of the right. same things. It's no different than singing, right? So I would do that for 30 minutes, take a break, and then sing repertoire every single day. I do it on Christmas. I do it on New Year's, Thanksgiving, no matter what. If I have to get up at 4 in the morning, which yeah. I've, I've done. Um, so, I mean, I'm not saying that to brag or anything. It's just, you know, that's that's. I want my body to be just a total... I don't want to have to think about it, right? It has to just be complete muscle memory. And so I've done that for like the last 60 years. So and of when course you're just grabbing any any information, any wisdom I can from a lot of people. And it's easy. As a singer, you, you a lot of times it's hard to be vulnerable and hard to acknowledge that there is so much stuff you don't know. But when you can, when you can, because, you know, here at WNO, you know, we got to sing with all kinds of people. I spent a year in Berlin, you know, got to be with Roberto Alagna or Thomas Hampson or, you know, name a name, Vladimir Galuzine. Oh, my God. Yeah. So uh, keenly side last year. Keenly side, yeah. I was his mazetto, and I we uh, went to the theater, and I just sang Silvio for him for hours and hours, and it's yeah. just invaluable. You know? So what, like when you like when you wake up and you test out your voice, and you're doing those warms in the day, what are you looking for? I wake up, I get my voice to ring. Right. Right. It's the first thing. Is like, does do my chords come together? Right. Every day, practically it does, unless there's something wrong. If I'm sick. What does that sensation feel like to you? When it rings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that sound is like in my face, right? Yeah. You can just, you know, you, you can feel if your chords are swollen or if not right. or whatever. And so when I can get that, I just, you know, I do a little two note, three note scales, and then I do that for 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Do you have check. a vowel that you go to first? Not really. I mean, E, you know, obviously brings the chords together the most. Yeah. Uh, but all of them, I try to get equal ring, all vowels, all parts of the voice. Did you ever spend any time thinking, I guess, and this is like something specifically for baritones? Uh, thinking about the E vowel as your sort of true north. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I mean, they all have their challenges for sure. Yeah. You know, I think, in my opinion, Ah is the hardest because really? it's the most exposed. You yeah. know, when you get to your your pas- different passagios, it's it's uh, the most telling. If you yeah. have problems in your voice, it's gonna. That's normally the first to kind of tell people that. Are you a modifier? Are you like a conscious modifier? I should say. So, Honestly, like, if you're if you're singing Ah, uh, you sing uh, or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly, no. Not anymore. I used to, and, and look, there's so many different ways to sing. Like, I can't, you know, who's to say what's right, you know. But for me, all I think about is, does that sound ring? It, can you can you tell if there's a change? When I go out the, throughout the registers of the voice, yeah. regardless of repertoire, regardless of dynamic, can you hear a change? And if you can't, it's normally a good right. thing. I mean, look, I, what do I know? You know, I, I, who knows? You just but, do what works for you, uh, yeah. which is all that anybody can ask. So, how do you, what are your thoughts on, on support? Oh, if I say if, oh, if, if, if simply put it, if I'm a, a budding singer and I'm like, "Yo, Michael, I, I don't think I have any support. I've got a voice. I can match pitch. You know, I can go up and down the scale pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm supporting. What does that feel like to you?" So that's difficult because you can easily under support. You can over support. You know, the concept of support takes years to understand. Right? Your body is very complex. There's so many different muscles involved. 
there are a lot of ideologies involved. It was just in terms of the, difference, the differences in voice teaching. Generally, at this point, I just try to take the big breath. I hold the big breath. I try to suspend. And then I try to make that sound in the space without changing. Yeah. yeah. Just going straight from my body to my face. Matt just put... Uh put an idea into my head about support he said Matt, Matt White yeah, yeah he said it takes he said it it should feel like simply put you take in a big breath and you're holding it and then you try to say a word mm -hmm. without bringing your folds together yeah and I was like yeah cause hello and yeah. I was like oh my god that's that's, that's a, that's a, a really thing. simplistic way and a good way of putting it you know I mean they, what do they say singing is like speaking and speaking is like singing right so it's, uh, it's, it's si parla si canta. Right, like right. So, you know, hypothetically it feels that way, but only after years of study. Like right. you can't just start singing and then say, Oper oh. Operatically. So, operatically, right. So it's it's controlled yelling while at the same time you're really not moving, you know, your mouth. None of the things are moving more than when you're speaking. Right. Uh, and it's 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 no more air than when you're speaking. It's right. It's very easy to, uh, Lord. What is the biggest trap that you've had to dig yourself out of technique-wise? Well, me, and you can probably sympathize with this, just being a big guy, you know, a muscular guy, a guy who's ever been in sports, it's really easy to push your body to do things yeah. that are strength-based, right? Yeah. Like, I played baseball, throwing a baseball, swinging a bat, all these things that have to do with maximizing, you know, the, the technicalities and the mechanics of your body. A lot of times when, you, when, some, when you're not getting the results that you want, it's really easy to push, right? Right. Um, you, for me, I have had to resist that temptation because oftentimes when you push, the voice gets smaller. Right. When you push, like bad things happen when you push. Technique is designed so that you don't push your body so that you can sing for a very long time. But because other efforts in your life, you're you're so yeah, conditioned for baseball. You're so right? conditioned to being like, okay, in order to do my job, my job is you know almost maximal effort every time. So like when you're throwing a baseball, you're like, I'm gonna throw this. In a way, really, really it's, hard. It's elastic, right? Like right. The, the the hardest th balls I've ever thrown, right, is when I'm actually the most relaxed, ironically. And you wouldn't think that in a lot of physical, like football, may be different because that's just a brute strength, right? It's just hitting other human beings, right? Right. Uh, but singing is the exact same way, man. The best singing I've ever done just felt like nothing. So it's finding, entrusting that this nothingness feeling is going to be enough. It's like, as if you had a microphone. But you don't have a microphone, and then that's actually when you're singing really well. Yeah, I mean it's easy to say that it, it takes a, just an absolute master oh, yeah. of a teacher to to show you how to do that. But the end result eventually it feels it really is not it, it, not a lot of sensation. Right. Yeah. But the biggest trap for beginners is push, you just push, 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 push yeah, wait. Man, you can't you, push your voice. Right. You and think as young singers, you know, oftentimes like we're we're doing things earlier and earlier and sooner and sooner than we used to do, and and. Uh, you have to resist that temptation to push your body because when you're when you're in your twenties, you can do things to your voice that you cannot do when you're in your thirties. Right. Look, I'm 28. I, I guess I I don't know that yet. I'm not obviously not in my thirties, but I'm very conscious. Just being 28, there are things that I could do when I was 21 that I can't do anymore, and you really have to be careful. Speaking of, how has your voice changed for the better from 21 to 28? Interestingly, you know, my tessitura is not changed a whole lot the color has darkened over time which is what people say but the the top and the bottom end of my voice has gotten whiter right which is something interesting right like you take the low g in the in the aria right right and um okay so what led you to being into that trap like 
you fell into the trap of pushing too much? Mm-hmm. Was that like other people saying, or you putting demands on yourself saying like, I need to sing bigger, I need to sound more mature, I need to make a bigger sound? Yeah, you know, so part of that for me, and I think for a lot of people what I gather, when you're making sound in the middle of your voice, a lot of it stems, you know, most of the baritone repertoire or bass baritone sits in the middle of your voice, right? right? It's very easy when you're in the middle of the voice to make a lot of sound and to almost get addictive, addicted to making lots of sound. And it's, you know, any voice type, if you push the middle of your voice, the rest of your voice, A, isn't going to match. Right. You're not going to, you're going to have a hard time getting through arias, much less roles. Uh, and so for me that, you know, when I was in my early mid twenties, that was one of the things I had to work on was just being very conscious of just singing a focused sound that matches throughout the voice and yeah. just trusting, knowing that that was going to be enough and not having to blow up any part of the voice. For you, it starts with the middle. Yeah. Like, Oh my goodness. If your middle is golden, mm-hmm. your top and your low is going to be great. Mm-hmm. But if you are over, well, I warm up now, I don't even, I don't even check the top. I'm well. I'll, uh, I'll sing in the bottom of my voice 10-15 minutes, make sure it rings, make sure it's warm, make sure it's easy, right? Yeah. That it's the same same thing every time I open my mouth. Then when the mid- I go up in the middle a little bit, and then I'll check the top. And right. if that's in line, I don't touch it. What for you was the key to unlocking the top? Because I remember a long time ago you sent me like the Brian Schexnader exercises. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And your top has always been like, you know, easy to touch on. It's not actually. But it wasn't. It wasn't easy to touch when on. When you met me at that point, I you know figured it I'd out. Figured out some things, but you know it's it's almost foolhardy to try to condense like a decade's worth of study into a podcast. Yeah. I just don't even know where to start. But that stuff comes over time for sure. Yeah. And then you think, you know, we often think the top, you know, the top of my voice is just the top of my voice. Well, the voice is reflective. Like the habits that you have often in the bottom of your voice are the same bad habits you have in the top of your voice. And so sorting those things through with a technical master yeah. uh, and just years and years of, of dedication every single day and constant focus, right? Yeah. Uh, which, side note, you know, Michael Phelps, a, a lot of Olympi- uh, you know, Olympians will visualize and they'll watch videotapes. Peyton Manning yeah. used to watch videotapes constantly of himself. The same neurons in your brain fire yeah. when you're watching those tapes as if you're actually doing the exercises. So I would do things like that with with singing and obviously actually the singing itself uh, and eventually just kind of started to figure out and things are a work in progress I still have you know my bad habits continue, continue to come back and I, yeah. you know you have to have a set of trusted well multiple sets of trusted years at whatever gig you're doing for people yeah. to say hey you need to fix this what are the top five roles you want to play Oh, man. I guess you've played a bunch of really good ones, I've right? I've been very, very fortunate to, to do things like Onegin, to do things like Giovanni, Marcello. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are already, you know... Great baritone roles. Oh, my goodness. What um, uh, if, you know, I came to you and I was like, hey, Hewitt Opera Company, we're going to do this. We want you for at least five shows. Mm-hmm. We're going to build them around you. Unlimited budget. What do you want to do? Right now, I'd probably do Barber. Okay. I'd probably do the Cora, Malatesta. Those uh-huh. are things I want to sing right now. Yeah. Right. Um, in the future, it's hard to know. It's hard to know when your voice is going to change, what mm-hmm. your voice is going to like in 10 years. You know, I'm assuming it will be darker, maybe heavier. Right now, lyric baritone. Yeah. It's good with me. Would you ever sing Paleos? Yeah. That'd yeah. Be, that's, that'd be a great role. That, that feels good. We should do Paleos and Golo. I'd love to do that. Um, I think Golo is the most awesome, interesting character. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, okay, so. You mentioned earlier strength and repetitions and kind of touching on the similarity between that I really believe in between uh, 
being an elite level athlete training for your sport and being an opera singer. How, and you have also always been really interested in fitness and your body as a tool. So what for you has been the most, like the biggest breakthrough or idea that has been useful to you regarding fitness, nutrition, training, as it pertains to Michael Adams, the opera singer? So this is a big topic and I'll, I'll try to break it down into several things. You know, I'll preface all of it by saying it, it is fairly, and anyone who's listening to this will know it's, it's fairly obviously important to, to have some level of fitness or just some level of health now. The whole industry has, has kind of shifted in, in a direction that it's, it's important to look the part to, to some degree, right? Right, and there, there's a variation within that. Uh, for me, you know, being a baseball player for something like 13, 14 years, it was always important to me just for my well-being, even emotionally, to be in the gym, to be doing, to be lifting heavy weights, something that I grew up doing, and it's, it, it literally gives me pleasure aside from singing. Now, how that's affected my singing, uh, I always found that it was, it was good to be strong, right? So my, um, how do I even address this, you know? I mean, I, I would say I push moderately heavy weights. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't powerlifting. I wasn't doing anything crazy, but I've always done squats. I've always done bench, deadlifts, you know, military press. Those are pretty much the big four that my workouts still revolve around, yeah. right? Um, squats help tremendously just in the sense that when I when I take a breath and I support, yeah. it's the same position that when the yeah. bar is on my back and I'm taking a squat, my torso is that open. I mean, it feels it's, the same. Yeah. And I had this breakthrough when I was in Des Moines in 2016 singing, uh, what was I singing? Ping, right? right. So that's a high, hard role that demands a lot of control. Uh, and I, I had this epiphany all of a sudden one day when I was warming up. I was like, oh my God. It's just like squatting. It feels just like squatting. I mean, that's, you know, telling that to a person who's never had a voice lesson, that may not mean anything, but it's, there are a lot of similarities, right, in terms of the mechanics. You, yeah. you start to draw parallels with these so things, it's right? the So it's the intra-abdominal so, pressure of, like, I'm about to put this weight on my skeleton. I need to be able to support this. To a degree, right? Yeah. Your rib cage has to be open in the same way that when you're singing, right, your, your rib cage is open. Right. Not, not to a forced degree, but it's just suspended, right? Yeah. So, you know, th those things have helped me, uh, and, you know, never everything in moderation, right? Like, I think Corelli, Cheryl Milnes, apparently they were bench pressing like crazy. Yeah. They, I mean, look at them. They were, They're they were huge, stout, huge, stout and, huge and strong guys. Stout dudes, right? Christian Van Horn and these, uh, you yeah, know, man, that guy looks great. Let me show you a picture of this guy from Mephistopheles, which is like, dude, he looks awesome. Mm -hmm. Looks like he whipped my ass in an arm wrestle. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, okay, so what. There was a. So when I saw you. Sorry, I'm just going to go on to talk a little bit more about this because I was going to touch on this. Um, I was in Geneva singing Mazzetto, right? To Simon Keenly Sides, Giovanni. And I just wanted to see how this, far. Dude. Oh, dude. Are you kidding me? His arms are giant. Yeah, dude, he looks great. Good lord. So, Geneva, Mazzetto. Yeah, you know, and I was just thinking, I was like, Mazzetto is not a terribly hard role. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how far I can go with this. I don't want to call it bodybuilding thing. I was just going to see how good in shape I could get in and still maintain the level that I was singing at. Yeah. And for me, the muscle mass was never a problem. Yeah. I didn't get huge, but when, at that point, I was cutting for about three months. Yeah. I got down to about 10, 11, maybe 12% yeah. body fat, and then I started having some real difficulties breathing, getting in my, getting in right. my back. Because right? that sensation is like, there's like less for yeah, you I to felt lean into. Honestly, I felt locked, and it was like... That at that point, you know, the middle of your voice is always, 
not terrible to sing in, but the, the extremes, like the bottom, the top, really started to suffer. And I, it was, I kind of found my limits. And at that point, I was like, all right, now yeah. I kind of know how far the body... Get get good go. and strong, but you don't get, get good, super lean. You can look good, but to, to get super lean or super cut, man, it's hard to sing well and yeah. do that. In fact, I'm looking at, like, I'm just thinking of the history of our industry. I can't, I can't really think of anyone who's been shredded and, and had an easy time singing yeah, and I, I always, <clears throat> part of me wants to think about that, like you know, maybe, maybe they like weren't singing so well to begin with, and then they get really shredded, and then it just like for some reason they just those problems become even more evident, or you start looking for them even more. But as I, you know, like look back and I think about singers from the past, there's been really fat singers who are amazing, and there's been really, like really lean singers who will look great in a bathing suit. We're great at singing. And then for every single one of those, there's a fat person who's just absolute garbage and there's a skinny person who's absolute garbage. So it's kind of hard to tell. For me, it's always like, for me, I have gotten better as I get different ears and as I grow as a singer. It has just kind of happened that my career has developed as I have developed an interest in building my body. So it's tough to, it's tough to like really draw any, uh, it's tough to say like losing weight is bad for the voice gaining muscle is good for the voice there are cases on both sides but there are absolutely but it cases seems on that like sides. in your case and at least in my case a commitment to mm-hmm. fitness has made your singing career better for me it's difficult to say for for different people obviously you know when when there's an extreme change in, in muscle or or fat or weight loss in uh, different cases, you know, good and bad things have happened. For me, I've pretty much maintained my size since high school. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I've gained more muscle mass a, a little bit, not a lot. I've lost, you know, I've lost some some uh, some fat, obviously, but it's it's never been that extreme of a change that I've noticed in my singing. So honestly, it's kind of difficult for me to say. Has it been has it been kind of the the same for you that I mean, you said it with the squats, but that like that building your body makes you more like that training in the gym makes you more aware of your body and that translates into singing in a better way in a beneficial way it definitely can you know there, there are different things like squats bench press normally like for the reasons that i discussed earlier about your torso generally seem to help because it's about opening your body right conversely when i would do back exercises right it, it would be very difficult for me to sing afterwards uh, because for whatever reason, it would just kind of lock my back and shut my back, and I was not able to expand in my lungs back there. Yeah. So there's that. I never do cardio, but when I do, <laughs> it, I can't sing. Man, I can't sing afterwards. What? I don't know what that's about. <laughs> you know what? If I knew more about cardio, I might be able to help you out. I don't know, I, man. I avoided as much or as swimming? I can. God, when I swim, in general, like, it's good because it increases your lung capacity, right? right? But, God, I just could not sing after I swim. That's interesting because for me, mm-hmm. I feel like as soon as I get my body... This was an epiphany that I had while I was actually I was swimming this summer. I realized that I used to think that like the point of uh, you know exercising before singing, I was like, you know, why did this help me suddenly feel warmed up? I realized it's not because I'm breathing hard; it's because I'm forcing my entire body to engage. Mm-hmm. So then, when I go to sing, my entire body is in one way or another engaged. And now it's just about not making that a maximal engagement. Mm-hmm. Now it's finding that fine line between not enough and too much so what i'm curious one of the last times that i saw you you were like 230 pounds or 220 (laughs) and now you have totally unfatted yourself what did you do to unfat yourself well you know it's 
You know, I, I've always worked out in my life, but the thing that I kind of found out was there's no amount of gym that you, there's no amount of time in the gym that you can spend that will do anything in terms of weight loss or weight gain. It's 90% diet, right? right? Which is so boring. It's like the, the fitness industry is not going to sell that to you because it's just... It's not sexy. It's not It's not sexy. It's not, man. But It's not sexy, but it makes you sexy. Right. So I was in Santa Fe with our brother Jack, <laughs> and uh, I was 230. You know, I'm like six foot yeah. tall, and so it's, it's uh, you know, it's not like crazy, but I definitely had people coming up to me and being like, yo, you should, you should like, de-chunk. You're looking, like, th- you're looking thick. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even kidding. I was like, should I be offended? Should I whatever. So... Whatever, man. So I basically just did <clears throat> those four exercises. I did squats. I do like six to nine sets a day. Yeah. Take a day off. Do nine sets of bench. Next day I do nine sets of deadlift. Really, those core four for the same reasons that you express in yeah. your uh, statue jacker. It's just really honestly probably any of the uh, yeah. programs that you have. I would do that with a uh, basically maintaining a caloric deficit. Yeah. That with counting my macros yeah and, it was uh, huge that was huge for you huge huge i mean it's just math yeah you tell much your weight you know you can so walk me through your weight. process of of you being like all right i'm gonna get i'm no longer gonna be fat step one what'd you do step one get a game plan okay right if you want to make any change in your life you gotta have a plan mm-hmm. otherwise it's kind of unlikely to happen right uh-huh so uh, got to get a plan, and you got to get a, a really got the best a strong of the best, why, man. And I, yeah, best of the best. I didn't even get mentors of people that I knew. I would just go on Google. The internet's amazing. You can find all of this stuff for free. Yeah, right? it's incredible. Well, still for free. And uh, so I would go. I would find. You know, I kind of browsed all of the different workouts, and you know, for bodybuilders or just for athletes, those core four. Well, they call it the core four, yeah. right? Squats, deadlifts, you know, bench, military press kind of designed a system around those where I was working out four days a week uh, found out that it's just diet related and just stayed in a caloric deficit for like four months yeah. and I lost like 40 pounds so you went to months. the store what'd you buy pretty much everything on the edges actually right so I'd buy lunch meats just chicken turkey right vegetables fruits uh, I obviously uh, planned some, some things in there some uh, guilty pleasures you know but that's that's pretty much it, man. Yeah. You can eat whatever you want if you're in a caloric deficit and lose weight. Yeah. Certainly easier to to eat superfoods like sweet potatoes. You know, a big sweet potato is like 150 calories. Yeah. How did you? What was your like mental mental game like with yourself? Just being like, I'm hungry. I my old self would have gone to go eat some nachos right now, but I got to stick to it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna be hungry. Like what? How did you suffer through those? Pleasure yeah. versus pain. Short-term right. pleasure. Short-term pleasure versus long-term just satisfaction. Long-term, yep. I mean, that's pretty much it. And you can look at that in the long-term. You can look at that in the short-term. Right. I was like... So you really like just kept your eye on the ball. You were like, I'm doing this for the long-term. It's going to be worth it. I it would, sucks right now. Yeah. I would set things like all throughout my house that would motivate me and just constantly reinforce the reasons yeah. I was doing what I was doing. Not only just like the vanity and the... And the the career aspect of just being thinner and being more hireable, but just the health benefits, yeah. right? And how did you feel? Like I've never had more energy in my life. Yeah. Do you think how much of that do you think is because you were building so much momentum through every one of those small actions? Like every time that you resisted the temptation to mm-hmm. go Confidence. and eat, eat something, mm-hmm. and instead made a positive choice, mm-hmm. you gained a little mm-hmm. bit of momentum there. Yeah. That was big. Hundred percent. That kept you going. Hundred percent. What was 
what was like the hardest time for you or what was I guess like what brought you closest to the point of being like I'm gonna break my willpower right now I gotta go eat pizza honestly it's it's the momentary setbacks that you have you know you have a bad show you have a bad audition those are the times when you're looking for some kind of physical um, like a dopamine hit yeah like a dopamine even if it's just in the form of whatever and, and don't get me wrong I mean dude I had ice cream I just would eat all the junk but yeah. it's just within a framework of a caloric deficit right? yeah uh, but probably that. You're an intermittent Actually, faster though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What was that like for you? How did that? Great. How did that affect your oh, your <clears throat> loss of forty pounds? There are so many reasons to intermittent fast. To preface all of this, I will state I am not a doctor. You know, I, I, maybe this is not safe. But I would eat within a six-hour window of the day every day. I'd have lunch at noon. I'd have dinner at six. It's like it's like sacred, right? Um, it's cheaper. It's much more easy. It's way easier to, to eat uh, fewer calories just in a shorter window of the day. Your stomach shrinks, you know, stomach distensibility when you're, when right. you're going 18 hours without eating. Right. Uh, when you're when I was hungry, I would just drink coffee in the mornings and then eventually just pound water all yeah. day to suppress hunger. It's, it's really not that bad. And when you cook, here's the thing. If you eat out, you're eating such caloric dense calorically dense foods it just blows your calorie count but if you cook you right. can be stuffed on like nothing right, right. on those really so, nutrient-rich foods like a right. sweet potato that's right so if you're going to intermittent fast if you're going to go on weight loss you have to cook because only then are you going to be satisfied consistently if you're out at burger king or whatever like trying to lose weight you're just gonna be miserable because you're gonna be yeah. basically pecking eating just tiny portions of food what were the uh you said you had like motive, like sources of motivation mm -hmm. placed all around your house, like within your sight lines. What were those sources for you? Like, paint that picture for me. Yeah, you know, it's really not even pictures or anything. I would just simply write down the reasons, you know, that I wanted uh, wanted to lose weight. You know, first of all was the career. You know, second was just feeling better, having more energy for my family, having even more energy to pour in my career for the, the for my loved ones. You know, for my family. Um, that's. That's that's a lot of the reasons, and then I would you know, f and you know, those were the pros. There's the cons of uh, of not making a huge change, and that's that's just feeling physically tired all the time, right? Yeah. Waking up with no energy, um, not sleeping well. I mean, there's a long list of reasons on both sides that you can. What was the the thing that you put up in your house that like that stuck with you the most? Like, what was your main go-to? For me, I think of them as like maxims or mantras. Mm -hmm. You know, like. If I'm in the gym and it's it just sucks and I fucking hate it, I remember during like one of my initial periods of, of transformation, just being like I would have this mantra that came to me that's like, like that's what you came here for. And I'd be like, oh yeah, this is mm -hmm. supposed to be hard. Was there something like that that sticks with you from that period? Yeah, you know, and it's it's still something that I use. It's it's just kind of a life thing that I picked up in an old book. But progress equals happiness. Okay. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things that equal happiness. Progress One of the biggest happiness. things in every vestige of life is that if you're having something in front of you, even if it's way in the distance that you can grow yourself towards every single day, you feel incredible pleasure. Yeah. And uh, it's it's cheesy. I think, it's, I think Tony Robbins talks about that all the time. But Dude, man has to be building. Like, I am. Yeah. it's got to be building something. You've got to have... A, without a vision, people perish. Yeah. 100%. A... Uh, Reason, work. reason to be. I mm -hmm. think that's some French thing that I'm about to butcher. Raison, raison d'être. Sounds right. Yeah, sounds legit. Um, yeah, it's like it's your reason to be. 
And I think that like without work or without a purpose, if it be like big or small, it's really easy to just stay shut up in your room and accomplish mm-hmm. accomplish nothing. So you mentioned Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. I love Tony Robbins. I know you love Tony Robbins. That guy's Robbins. the man. How did you come to Tony Robbins? How did you come to be a disciple of oh, the great good one? Good Lord. I think I was on. I was in Germany. I was really depressed. You know, the sun comes <clears> up at like 11. Yeah. It goes down at 3 o'clock or something. Ridiculous, right? And so I'm sitting on YouTube just trying to find something to inspire me. And a video came across the net, right, that said something like, Tony Robbins' Hour of Power, and he's mm-hmm. just talking about how to get your life to, to consciously put your life, to stop waiting for things to happen to you and to create momentum yeah. yourself, to create your own momentums and use the law of attraction, use the fact that we're in control of our emotional states through the uses of our phys- physiology and the, and the direction of our focus, the questions that we ask ourselves. All of those things are con- contributing to the all of the things that are firing in our brain that equal our Right. Uh, emotional outcome, right? Right. Um, it's almost formulaic, and it just blew my mind. I, was, I, be- I became addicted, honestly, because I was somewhat depressed. I was spending a lot of time alone. I was in a foreign country. I didn't speak German well. You know, I was. I just the first time I'd ever moved to Germany was when I got that job, and I went. The, the first time I'd ever left the country, yeah. honestly, of, of the U.S. So I got over there, and I I just got addicted to this stuff. I uh, ordered, you know, unlimited power. Wicked the Giant within. Yeah, you got right. it. Right Limited Powers. Right? I literally just moved in. And I just got addicted to this stuff. And uh, I've re- honestly read it almost every single day. It's the most inspiring. And, uh, you know, his mentor and his mentor's mentor. It's some good stuff. Man. Zig Ziglar. It's essentially and, um, stoicism, you know, modern day stoicism. Yeah. Be in, oh, there it is. Sorry, there. Yeah. yeah, be in control of your state. Because mm-hmm. it's really, if there's... One thing that we're in control of in this life is our own mind. And how you and re- how it. you react to outside stimuli. That's about it. Yeah. It's about all we're in control of. And and even then, it seems like you're not. But yeah. you, it's learning how to not be a reactionary a- animal of our environments and how to trigger, how to set up our own triggers and to set up our the own systems that inspire us and inspire us into action. And did he kind of lead you to the importance of congruency? Hundred percent. Just like you know, if in all areas of your life, what does congruency mean to you, or how do you apply congruency to your life? Well, congruency essentially to me means that the the, the cogs of your life are all working for the same outcome. The the, the machine, you know, they're all nothing is. Uh, when you're talking about con- congruency, you're really talking about a lack of internal conflict, right? Right. Um, which takes a lot of work because we're, you know, I'm 28 years old. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in my life, and there's a lot of things that you could get bent out of shape. So you have to very proactively address your psyche and address the things that that you've uh, struggled with, right? So that's that's kind of what that means for me is a lack of internal conflict. Yeah. Which is kind of a mismatched definition of what you just asked. Did you? Well, did you have any? Um, was there any internal conflict, say, for you, in the development of your career? Like, did you ever have any internal conflict regarding, like, what you were doing as a singer or, you know, singing with you know, your expectations for your life, etc.? Yeah, you know, singing is a very difficult thing in itself. It's just very hard to get, when you first start, to get through an aria, to get through an opera. And there are different levels of difficulty, right? It's hard to get into school for singing. It's yeah. hard to get a scholarship. Then you're trying to get into grad school. It's very difficult to get a good grad school. Then after that, you're trying to get a young artist program or just to get heard by 
someone who can change your life, you know, get a good manager and then to sing consistently for companies and just build a career. It Every level so much has a new a new Every, boss that you know, be. Yeah, and you constantly you don't have to, but it's it's helpful to, to be constantly goal setting and to to have written goals so that you're 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 communicating oh, yeah, you know, to your I want to show you something. Feel like this. So I wrote this down at Siegel. Uh, my second year there. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's pretty strong. Yeah. Those were my so, like my five year goals. Yeah, that's strong. For anyone listening, man, he's got a he's got a journal here that has his written goals and he's crossed off. Basically, like a this is like a flow chart that I wrote my second year at Siegel. And you know the reason why you've crossed half of those off? It's because you communicated to your mind. You set a specific target. Right. Yep. And because you had a target, you probably took massive action towards those. Yep. Those ends. That's the right? thing. That's the thing about about the secret, the law of attraction, is like, yeah, that's all like really well and good, but without, I think it's it's the law that complements it. Mm -hmm. We'll make it up right now. The law of massive action. Yeah. You're not going to get anything done. That journal is testament to, and and is empirical data, to the validity of the law of attraction. Yeah. Um, so I do want to talk about baseball. <laughs> what was that like for you? Because, dude, you had, like, you had a pretty big, like, shift in your plans. Yeah, man, it was it was tough, right? So I played for forever. I was planning on, you know, planning's a strong word when you're young and you're dumb. You don't really know what you're doing. And so I, I thought I wanted to play. And, and you were uh, going to go be like was, Roger Clemens. What would you play? Well, I don't know about that. But, you know, by the end of... Uh, my career, if you want to call it that, it was first and third base, right? I played everything except for catcher, you know, throughout my life. Yeah. And uh, I went on a skiing trip, went off a ramp. It was my first time skiing. I'd been, that day, it had been like four or five hours. I was getting a little too confident. You know, I'm a fairly coordinated guy. Yeah. So I was like having a good time going off of jumps. So I was going off this one jump. It would put you like, you know, 20, 30, 40 meters in the air, right? I was doing, I was doing this thing for like 30 minutes. And uh, I hit this jump. I was, I was 18 years old, and I immediately noticed. I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm starting to over-rotate, right? My body's starting to turn sideways. I'm like, this is going to end badly. So I land on my shoulder. You knew it was coming. Like, you I saw the ground, coming. and you're like, yeah, oh, Jesus. That, those, those three seconds felt like 10 minutes, right? Hit the ground, go unconscious. I wake up in a hospital, have a concussion. Everything in my right shoulder is just shredded, right? All the connective tissue. I couldn't even drive stick shift. Yeah. Right? I couldn't reach with my right hand yeah. for two years was without, without oh. pain. Yeah. What, so what up. was the diagnosis? Uh, well, they, they took an MRI of my head. They didn't even mess with the shoulder because they were like, when you you're going to have to, this is not life or death. You can go do that on your own time, right? Yeah. Um, and so I never got my shoulder checked out because it was pretty obvious that was going to be a long road. Yeah. And so that pretty swiftly ended baseball and I'm sitting Damn. there thinking what am I going to how am I going to make money? How am I going to go to college, you know? I can't can't yeah. afford a school that's 50 grand a year or whatever. Yeah. So uh I went around singing for people and sang for TCU and they gave me a chunk of money and you had said, already but been you singing. have to they were like you have to be a, a music major and I, dude, I couldn't even read music. <laughs> right. So I, I think that's the story for probably a lot of probably most. At least I find that, like the women are always like way ahead mm -hmm. at least at that point in school you know like all the girls in my classes were like yeah we can like read music and do school and and sing fairly well and then like all the guys were like dude i don't at least me i was like that i was don't me. yeah man i don't know can, can you play this for me again <laughs> i can't read this music yeah um so then that was it then you were a voice major yeah 
and then I got addicted. I started applying because my my regiment's never changed. You know, I went from baseball. You're trying to to master the swing, which is just a technical, just a monster in front of you. There are so many different elements and different components that go into a beautiful swing. Yeah. Right. Um, it's very mechanical and how that has to be mastered. Right. Pitch throwing is the same way. Fielding is the same way. There, there was these, there were these different elements of the game that you had to master to be, to be a good athlete in right. baseball, right? And then I got into singing and You're I realized like, it's the same, same thing. It's the same right. thing. There's like the master, there's the technical mastery of the voice. Right. There are the languages. There's the acting. There's the dance. Right. There was all of these. These things, I was immediately able to categorize and, and yeah. to start taking action. So like, oh, well, here's fielding. All right, well, here's diction. Here is throwing. Okay, well, here's making sure my folds are closed mm -hmm. and I'm connected to my chest voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here's the swing. Here's my high notes. Yeah, pretty much. That's wow. Who are your favorite baseball players? Oh, Lord. All time and or currently playing. Oh, man. Ken Griffey, Jim Tomei. <laughs> um just too many, man. I mean, we grew up in the steroid era, so it's like yeah. a lot of those guys were my heroes, but it turned out uh, to, let's to see. not who be did, what we who thought. Did, who did I really like, dude? A Rod, I loved A Rod, but um, I even think without the steroids, he was likely still an incredible player. Yeah, I mean, just the the talent was yeah. was crazy. Where do you stand on on steroids? Are you for the game? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's obviously. It, that's that's a very complicated subject, you know. I mean, Mark McGuire, when he was when he got busted, he got busted for lying because what he was taking was not actually illegal. It was basically HGH, right? I mean, you can go to CVS and buy HGH. It's, it's just like a, it's not a supplement that's really well, insane. No, I don't think in the, not in that way. You can't buy like injectable IU's of HGH. No, but to to a degree, like what he was. My my point is, is he wasn't breaking the rules. What got him in trouble is he lied in front of Congress. Uh, Bill Clinton about. style. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to touch that. Uh, but, yeah, and so that's, you know, I guess it's probably wrong to, like, be taking drugs that enhance your body. Uh, but, you know, you still have to admire the talent. Okay. Right. And so especially guys like Ken Griffey Jr., Dim Jim Tomei, guys who Right, Cal Ripken Jr., yeah, these, these guys Todd Helton. I mean, yeah. All right, so then, let's see. Let's pose this as if it were to the opera world you have I just got done listening to a, the first season of American Scandal which talks about like the Balco controversy and basically like this this whole you know Balco mm -mm. Uh, Barry Labco they're like basically the people who gave Barry Bonds the steroids mm. um, and like started the drug regimen for Marion Jones etc so if there were something that you could take that was for some reason illegal but it was available to you. And it would just level you up to an ability that your body could not go to. Your body and your mind could not go to. And it would break those barriers for you, singing-wise, or, you know, whatever it would be. Would you take it? No. Just on principle of it being mm. illegal. Right. Okay. If it was illegal, I wouldn't. If so it was only, legal, be, only because of the morality, only because of its legality. Yes. Not because you feel like it would be a detriment to, because a lot of people feel like steroids are a detriment to the integrity of the game. You don't feel like that would be a detriment. So my, my answer is twofold. Yeah. One, based on the morality, simply just if it's illegal, I'm not, I'm not going to, right. Okay. And second of all, I mean, I kind of have the belief that if you are going to earn something in your life, you have to be worthy yeah. of it, right? Yeah. So it's, there are no shortcuts. 
There are no such thing as shortcuts. You have to improve yourself, your technique, whatever your package, whatever your voice is, to a degree where you can earn that thing fair and square. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe if there was a situation where somebody at the I don't know. Somebody was like, I'm going to give you this, and it's going to make... Like, I don't I don't know what form it would take. You know, like, obviously, steroids, it's like, okay, well, it's literally going to make you bigger and faster and stronger. So you're mm-hmm. going to hit the ball way harder, and you can train way more, and you need less recovery. I don't know what it would be like for singing, but... Also, if, it, if I can't imagine that that would be a scandal in singing, because... Because <laughs> who cares? I mean, well, I mean, if it's <laughs> like, if you sing well, and people heard it, people would be like... Yeah, they'd be, yeah. They'd be on board. Really. I think that was a lot of the, at least in American Scandal, that's what they make it sound like with, with the Balco thing, is owners were like, "What? who gives a shit? He's filling, he's filling the stadium and he's hitting home runs and we're winning games. Why do we care? But I think that there were also legions of people who were like, well, I mean, it's wrong. Yeah. Outside of the legality, they felt like it was, it was just wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what do you do if... if you're losing jobs because, you know, if you lose a job to me because, if you keep on losing jobs to me because I am taking this illegal thing that's making me just sing like a god, and then everybody else starts doing it, then what do you do? Yeah, I honestly don't know. That's that's hard. Yeah. That's you tough. know, there was like, there was some, I think, uh, some psychologist did a, a study where like they asked a bunch of Olympic athletes more or less this question, like, hey, you have the option to take this thing that all but guarantees you that you're going to win a gold medal. It's going to shorten your lifespan definitely, definitely by 95%. They took it, didn't they? Like, how, or, you know, like you're going to die. What do you, what do you do? Do you choose to, you take the red pill or do you take the blue pill? Like 95% of these people were like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to take that. I'm, they were just willing to go for it. Yeah. I don't know what it would be for singing. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know what I would do because because so much of singing doesn't have to do with strength as much as it does just years of understanding how your body works and and the different parts of the body work in relation to each other and where that sound is. I mean, it takes a lifetime. I would, yeah, and I would have to know. I would have to know for sure that I had reached my natural limit. Mm -hmm. I would just have to know, like, I would need, you know, Dionysus or, you know, whatever god of theater and singing to come down and be like you are at the apex of where your body and your mind can take you and then I'd be like alright cool now let's talk about this other shit should we wrap it there? yeah feels like a pretty good episode pretty good alright guys well uh, thank you for tuning in that's episode one of Music and Weights I hope this has been beneficial to you this uh, podcast has been brought to you by 